So we are rapidly approaching the end of our study, going through the, the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians. And uh, we looked last week at uh, Paul's admonition and uh, instruction on what a godly, healthy church looks like. Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, following all that Paul addresses in the, uh, the, 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 the book of 1 Thessalonians, I mean, it's a, pretty, it's a pretty meaty letter, right? I mean, it covers some really heavy detail about the, about the rapture and about the day of the Lord and about the second coming of Christ and, and just all of the, the drama that was going on in the church because they were under the impression that they had missed the rapture and they were in the day of the Lord and they were, they were freaking out. Out a little bit and and then and then Paul's kind of sending this letter to kind of calm them down and saying listen if you're still here and I'm still here the rapture hadn't come yet and God's in control of all things right and so there's a there's a um, a lot of talk about what is ahead and now as we come to the ending of this passage what Paul does is he kind of helps position their feet back on the ground a little bit Kind of, it's an appeal to kind of get their head out of the clouds a little bit and now focus on while we're waiting for Christ's return, how ought the church to engage with one another? Instead of looking so forward at tomorrow, let's live responsibly today, right? Let's deal with today. And so as he kind of winds down at the end of chapter five, he talks about the way in which the church, without losing sight of our hope of Christ's return, how do we live today? How do we engage with one another in the community of Christ, the, the church of Jesus Christ? And we looked last week at um, verses 12 and 13 of 1 of Thessalonians, and he's instructing the church on how to relate with one another. Um, he says this, he says, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among, over, among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace amongst yourselves. And we talked about how the godly attitude of those who are overseers, how they ought to posture themselves, how they ought to uh, see themselves in the body of Christ. And we are to see ourselves as laborers, those who are working for the well-being of the church, right? That the goal of the church, the goal of the overseers are, is to see the church flourish and thrive the way God has designed the church to be. He encouraged them to see themselves as overseers, right? To steward their authority in such a way that it benefits the body. Not that it, they lord it over the body, but they steward their authority in such a way that it benefits and blesses and causes the body of Christ to grow. And he calls the, 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 the um, overseers to admonish the church, to teach the church, to, to build up the church, right? To instruct the church, and then the reciprocation of that we looked at last week was how ought the overseen to respond to the overseers, right? And Paul's admonition is to respect those who are over them, right? To appreciate them, right? To esteem them very highly, not because of who they are necessarily, but for what they do. Esteem them highly because of their work. And then, he, and then he lays out the, the fact that when that's happening, when the church is, is firing all cylinders in that way, peace will be present. And so we saw that the overseers and those who are overseen are equally important, we looked at. Equally valuable in the eyes of God and ought to be equally valuable in the eyes of one another. It is the distinction of roles, 
not importance. And therefore, when embraced, peace is, and maturity is the obvious fruit. Now this morning, we're gonna continue on that same theme of, of godly attitudes in a healthy church. We're gonna look at part two of what Paul will lay out for us, the way in which the church is to view each other, engage in authentic, um, healthy, safe community with one another. Isn't that what we want? I mean, don't you wanna be in a place where it's safe? Right, not just physically safe, but emotionally safe, spiritually safe, right? Relationally safe. How do we how do we create an environment where everybody can thrive into being all that God has designed the church to be? We see a great picture of the church at its finest in the in the book of Acts. It's right on Pentecost Sunday. We see the church of Jesus' birth as the Holy Spirit comes upon the church. And we read about the early church and the way in which the early church interacted with one another. And we see some characteristics that were present in the early church that I believe we ought to strive to uh, follow after, right? To hold that up as a model. Now, there's some things that just don't apply to today because of our culture and everything else, but, but the way in which the church engaged with one another, um, Paul will, you'll see as, as, as we look at some of these admonitions, we'll see that Paul will use the early church model in the way in which he highlights the importance of that in 1 Thessalonians. But just take a look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. It kind of gives us a little sneak peek behind the curtain of what's going on in the church, the early church, the first church, the first century. Here's some characteristics. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to breaking of bread and of prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a beautiful picture we see of the church and some of the characteristics that we see that were present in the early church was the fact that they were devoted, they were committed to the, 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 the teaching of the apostles, right? They were committed to doctrine, they were committed to hearing and applying the word of God. They were committed and devoted to, to fellowshipping with one another. They, they recognize the importance of, of being together, to breaking of bread. It's the idea of having communion together, but even sharing in meals and being in community together, to be praying together. It says also we see that um, they had all things in common and those, when, when people saw that others had needs, they even sold some of their goods to help meet the needs of other people. It's interesting. It says, and they were selling their possessions. It didn't, it didn't come down from the top. It wasn't like a, a mandate from, from the church and saying, hey, listen, here's what the church needs to do. You need to sell everything. No, they would just, out of the natural progression of healthy relationship with one another, that within the church, when people saw needs in other people's lives, they're like, you know what? You need, I'll just sell what I need to do and help you get by. It wasn't mandate, it wasn't law, it wasn't policy. It was the overflowing of love and health within the church. And look what happens, it says, and God added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
right? No, no, no multiplication plan, right? No strategy, just the church being the church and God adding to the church. And so we have a picture of a really healthy church right there in, in, in the book of Acts. And, and we're going to see some of the, the, some parallels that Paul will highlight uh, for them and for us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And so with that, we're going to pick up in our text together, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14. Paul says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul now moves on from the way leaders and congregants are to engage and view one another, and he kind of sets the stage for how now everybody, leader, overseer, and overseen, how are we to engage in authentic community? How are we to, to uh, um, live out our faith amongst one another? And more specifically, I mean, remember, he's speaking to a group of people. His church is less, less than a year old. And they're all coming from all different kinds of backgrounds, all, kinds of, all different kinds of experiences, right? They're all bringing, listen, they're all bringing their baggage with them to church. They're all bringing their hurts and their insecurities and all those areas of their lives that just, I mean, they're not as sanctified as we are. Right? They were still, they were still a work in process, and so Paul's kind of laying out for them, hey, this is how church is to happen. Have you discovered yet that you're in the midst of a very diverse group of people? Some of you have been in the faith for a really long time. Some of you have been in the faith for a very short amount of time. Some of you have come out of some really healthy church background experiences. Some of you have come out of some really disastrous experiences. Some of you have come out of some really simple lifestyles that have really formed the fabric of who you were. Some of you have come out of some really moral backgrounds. Some of you have come out of some really broken homes. Some of you have come out of really healthy homes. Some of you have been affirmed by people that you love and adore, and some of you have been kicked to the curb trying to find the affirmation of those who you love and adore. They are here in your midst. And the reality of it is every single one of us, we all bring our different things to the table, our different experiences to the table. And as the church is called to come together, we, our family, takes on a whole new dimension. Because the reality is it's a diverse group of people. We're as diverse today as they were back in Thessalonica. And you see, in this passage of scripture that we just read, I see five different categories of, of people that are present at any given time within the church. And Paul will give us some instruction on how we are to engage one another in the midst of that. And we have a, we have a beautiful idea, a beautiful opportunity to kind of look behind the curtain of who we are sitting next to. Because what was true for them in Thessalonica is true for Integrity Church. In fact, it's true for all of the body of Christ because the reality is the church is full of flawed people. Right? And so I see five characteristics. I'll give, I'll give them all to you right, right up front just so you know where we're going. Five characteristics that we see present in the church. The first one we're going to see is we're going to see distracted believers. We're going to see discouraged believers. 
I was having some fun with my thesaurus this week. We're gonna see some developing believers. We're gonna see some disappointing believers. And we're gonna see some destructive believers, all in those two verses of scripture. Not only are we gonna see them, though, more importantly, we're gonna see how do we engage with them because this is the family of Christ. And as we go through this, you might see that you at one point were on the receiving end of one of these things. And you might have been somebody who was on the giving end of one of these things. Because at any given time, we're all capable of one or the other of these things. Just like family. You know the old saying, you you can pick your friends, you you can't pick your family? Right? Well, the same goes for the body of Christ. Right? The reality of it is, we're the body of Christ. And we're called to love one another. And again, we all bring our, our differences to the table. How we engage with one another will, to a great degree, um, enable us to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit as we're growing together. What's interesting about this group of people here, the, all these, the, these different kinds of believers, is that they are all believers. Paul is addressing believers in the church. And again, we need to remember this group of Christians in Thessalonica were not Christians for a very long time. I mean, their disposition before God changed immediately. But their ways, the the way in which they think, the way they see things, the way they feel things, the way they respond to things, that's been a work of the Holy Spirit in their life and in my life as well. Amen? Amen? Let's take a look at our first one that we see. Paul says this. He, it's what we could have called the, the distracted believers. The distracted believers. Paul says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. I like that. We urge you. It, 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 it's like a paradox. You have urge and idol, right? It's like we, we, we want to urge you, implore you. We want to urge you to admonish the idol. Several times in this epistle, we saw Paul will make reference to those who were idle in the church. In fact, he will refer to his own posture towards him when him and his team were there ministering. He's like, listen, when we were there, we served you wholeheartedly with no strings attacked, attached. We worked night and day for, for, your, for your benefit and for your blessing, right? We were anything but idle among you. And likewise, he says, actually a little bit later on in his second epistle, follow our example. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 7, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were among you. He says a little bit later in that same chapter, he says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, I like this, but busy bodies. Like, you're busy, you're not busy working. You're busy bodies. So why, why did I talk about, why did I, why, why did I call this distracted believers? Because the reality of it is that the church at this time, again, as I said before, they thought they missed the rapture. They thought they were walking in the day of the Lord. They thought that the worst was about to come upon them, right? And so they were so caught up in what was ahead that they just decided, why bother working? Why bother doing it? They were so distracted by everything else that that was going to happen tomorrow that they weren't living in today. 
They were distracted by the, the, the rumors. They were distracted by the letters that were being circulated. They were distracted by all the fear and the insecurity and all this stuff that was circulating around the church of Thessalonica. They're like, you know what? I'm not going to church. I'm not going to work. They just kind of pulled apart. They weren't engaging in the community. They weren't participating. They weren't giving. They, weren't, they kind of forgot about today because they were so distracted by tomorrow boy, we can do that, can't we? I don't know about you, but I, I just want to say, I can get so distracted on subject matters and, and, and things like, that, that I can just forget why we exist is to glorify God, to make his name known, right? To, to, to perseverate over the, the, the talking points of the day and what's going on around us and what everybody is doing and why did he say that and why does she do that? And, and it's like, I can get so distracted. I know it's me, not you. But I can get so distracted that I can forget that God is doing a work in me. And I'm here for a reason. And I'm not the reason. I'm here for the glory of God, right? And we see that this, this was their problem. They were so distracted over tomorrow that they weren't living as good stewards today. So what do you do with the idol? What do you do with that distracted brother or sister that's among us? Paul says, admonish them. Admonish them. Teach them. Don't judge them. Don't shame them. Don't come down on them. But don't ignore them either. Right? Don't, 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 give, don't give room for complacency. Admonish them. Come alongside them. Care about their spiritual well-being. I urge you. Hey, they might not be in a rush to do anything. They seem to be very distracted. But here's what I want you to do. Would you go after them? Would you admonish them? Would you come alongside them and, and build them up? Too many people, I'll tell you, COVID has really done a work on the church over the years. I meet with a lot of pastors all over the country and, and what's true here is true all across, all across the United States. That it's almost like COVID gave everybody permission to take or leave on a Sunday morning gathering. And it's like, I think to myself, what in the world? We, we, we are in the beginning stages of the apostasy. I really believe that. I really believe that we are in the beginning stages of where the church is, the people of God are turning and not prioritizing the house of God and the people of God. We don't, listen, we don't come to church because we just need a, a, a spiritual boost. That's not why we gather. We don't come to church just to sing a song. We don't come to church just to hear the word of God. We come to church because this is where the physical manifestation of God's presence is on the earth. Do you realize that you're sitting next to somebody who has the spirit of God within them? There's something so much more that's going on than when the church gets together, but we're so distracted by, by sports and, and this and that, and we can get pulled in so many directions that we can miss what we're called to do today. And the appeal is to admonish the distracted. In their case, they were idle. It's hard, hard days. They're just distracted. They, 
the church in Acts, they were, they were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread, to, to being with one another. It says day by day, they attended temple and fellowship together in each other's homes. We need to remember that God has created the church and Satan wants nothing more than to distract people from being in the house of God where they need to be. Satan wants to keep you from the presence of one another and in the house of God and to lull you, listen, into busyness outside the church and idleness inside the church. That's his goal. To make you busy outside the church and to make you idle inside the church. That's what he's looking to do. And see, a community that wants to thrive on all cylinders requires every one of us to bring our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our, our, whatever God has placed into our life for the use and building up of one another. There's something for everybody to do in the house of God. You say, well, I don't have any time. Then you're too busy. You're created for that. You're designed for that. Find that thing that God has called you to do. The enemy wants you to get so busy on the outside that you don't have time for the inside. The church in Acts, they devoted themselves to one another. The way to guard against being idle on the inside is to engage in community with each other. Engage in community. The second group of people that Paul makes reference to are the discouraged believers. He says this in verse 14. He says, encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Surely there were people in Thessalonica who felt the sting of discouragement. I mean, on the one side, they came to faith in Christ and they're excited about that and at no point did they, they waver in their decision to do that. But the reality of it is as Jesus taught his disciples, there's a cost to following Jesus. Right, And many of them lost friends and many of them lost family members and many of them lost jobs and, and positions of influence because now they were following Jesus. And Jesus made that very clear. He said, this, if the world hates me, they're going to hate you also. And so while the church is growing and thriving together, the reality of it is this young church had left a community of activity and idolatry and sinful ways and community that was not consistent with their community in Christ. And while I'm sure they weren't regretting it, I'm sure there was times that they were discouraged as they saw people who they once loved shun them. You know, just because you know you're on the right track doesn't mean you won't have times of being discouraged. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're here and you feel this thing of, of missed expectations. And while you're not considering leaving the faith, I'm where, you know, it's like, you get like, like where, where are we gonna go? But you felt the sting, the hurt of others. And just discouraged. I encourage you to tell you that you're, you're not alone in that. There's not a person here that can't identify with being in a season of discourage, of being discouraged. What does Paul say to the, to the faint-hearted? I like that word, faint-hearted. I wish it started with a D. I would have popped it up there. 
It's a, it's a sad word. Faint-hearted. Tired-hearted. Emotionally exhausted, the weary, the discouraged. Notice it's not that a healthy church doesn't have people in it that aren't going to go through seasons of discouragement. It means that a healthy church seeks out the discouraged and seeks to encourage them in the Lord. I don't know about you, but I've had seasons in my life where I have been on, in need of being encouraged by other people. And I've had seasons in my life where I've been able to be the source of encouragement for other people. As I said before, with each of these points, we probably could see ourselves on both sides of the giving and the receiving end, the good, the bad, and the ugly. But a healthy church seeks out those who are discouraged. Notice what was consistent about the church in Acts in chapter two. It says that we see, the, we see the church was together. They had all things in common. They identified with one another. I like that. They walked in each other's moccasins. They sought, they sought to see life through the lens of their brother and sister. They went to temple together. They gathered in homes together. They received communion together. They grew in their faith together. They endured hardship together. They went through persecutions together. They experienced death and, and martyrdom together. Nothing will help pull us out of discouragement quicker than being around people who will encourage you. Sometimes we get so focused on how we feel and what's going on around us. You know, we can get very, very myopic in, in, in the way in which we see what's happening to us. I, I, I've been there and it gets discouraging. And I found that the way I get out of that is I go and make, I try to make a beeline for people who I can encourage, people I can bless, people who I can build up, people who I can pour into. And what I find happens is as I'm encouraging other people, it is encouraging me as well. And I'm pulling myself out of a dark place that I don't want to be in. And you see, the church needs to be a place, not that you can't come discouraged, but come to, come to, to draw off of one another. And whether you're in a season of discouragement or not, seek to be that brother, that sister, to encourage one another in the Lord. And one of the ways, again, to stay in discouragement is to disconnect. The enemy likes to isolate and then infiltrate. The word of God, Jesus' plan for his church is the church is together because there's safety when the people of God are together. The third group of people I see in this text in verse 14 is what I'm calling the, the developing believers. The developing believers. He says in verse 14, he says, help the weak. Help the weak. The Greek word that's used for weak here is asthanes. And it has to do not necessarily with those who are physically weak, but those who are spiritually weak. Those Christians who struggle with sin. I know there's none of them in our church, but in the event that somebody from another church makes their way in here, we need to know how to deal with those Christians who struggle with sin from time to time. What Paul is saying is, hey, we need to help the spiritually weak. 
This word for weak, he also uses it in Romans chapter 15 and verse one. He says, we who are strong, I like this, he says, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. You have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Hebrews chapter four and verse 15, we see the same word being used and very encouraging because it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I chose the word developing because that's how we ought to see our brother and our sister. As a work in progress, just like we are, Perhaps that's why Jesus said that before we seek to get the speck out of our brother's eye, we need to take the log out of our own eye. It helps us to see, but notice we still go after the speck. We just make sure we do it with the right heart. We need to see our brothers and sisters as developing believers. Not to judge them, not to shame them, but to strengthen that which is weak. Now listen, nobody's going to be strengthened by ignoring sin. It's not what I'm advocating for. I'm not saying we just let people do what they want to do. That's not helping anyone. But it's by loving and genuinely desiring to see the best in the lives of one another. And it's out of that sincere love that we seek to bring truth to them so they don't settle for a lie and a life that is not what God's designed for them to walk in. But before we point out the sin in anybody's life, you better make sure you genuinely love that person. That you're not seeking just to be right or to catch them doing something. But but you're being driven by a sincere love to see that person thrive into what Christ has called them to be. That's the difference between Phariseeism and authentic Christianity where a brother and a sister holds each other to the truth. We need to see them as developing in their faith. You know, last I checked, we are his workmanship. Isn't that good news? That means you're not my responsibility to change. I'm not your responsibility to change. I can't sanctify you. You can't sanctify me. That's a work of the Holy Spirit. And so as I'm walking and journeying with you and we're walking through the scriptures and applying them to our lives, God, the Holy Spirit, who has been sanctifying the church for 2,000 years, by the way, does a really good job at that. In authentic community, it creates a safe environment for our believers to develop because some of our believers are only six months old and some of them are 60 years old. And so how does that, how do, how, do we, how do we live that out? By grace. Having grace towards one another, graciousness. Fourth one I see here, it's a tough one to kind of work through, a tough one to deal with. It's what I call the disappointing believers. Now we've all had people in our lives who have disappointed us. Anybody, have, anybody ever disappoint you? Uh, we all have people in our lives that have disappointed us but you know when it happens inside the church it tends to feel like it hurts twice because our expectations are a little bit higher and you know what they ought to be they ought to be higher but when when our expectations are higher it tends to hurt a little bit more and there are some that, that, that require a little bit more patience than other people 
which is just what Paul is alluding to at the end of part, at the, end, the last part of this verse 14. He says, look, he says, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. Not just one of them. Not just the easy ones. Not just the ones that you want to be patient with. But all of them. I'm sure when the, when the readers of this epistle in Thessalonica read, be patient with them all, they knew exactly what Paul meant. In fact, I'm sure they had the picture of somebody in their mind. Yeah, everybody but this guy. Everybody but her. I can't possibly be patient with all of them. And what's true for Thessalonica may be true for us here as well. There's always that person in your life well-meaning, God-loving, well-intended that just requires a little bit more patient, patience than the average bear. Here's why, I label it, here's why I label it disappointing believers. Because the need to exercise more patience is connected to the fact that perhaps despite your clear encouragement, your admonishing of them, your, your guidelines, your pouring into them, your going after them, your, your spending. Perhaps you've, you've, vest, you've invested so much into them that they just don't seem to be listening to you and taking your advice. And after several reminders, it gets, it gets pretty disappointing. But before I put a face on that label, I need to look at the face in the mirror that's looking back at me. I need to take a look at the guy looking back at me that has been in need of God's patience time and time again. I need to look at the guy in the mirror who has disappointed people, not intentionally, but just in the journey of life and growth. And before I start getting overly disappointed with people and unwilling to extend patience to others, I need to really get a grasp on how much I've been in need of being on the receiving end of patience and long-suffering from God, from those who love me, and even those who don't love me, as if there was such a person. <laughs> Paul says, hey, not everybody in the community is going to be really fun to hang around, but have patience with all of them. This last group of people is the hardest people to deal with. They are what I'm calling the destructive believers. The destructive believers. Look at verse 15. He says, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Paul is reserving this last admonition for, to dealing with what I call destructive believers. And I know, that, I know that that sounds so negative. And the reality is oftentimes what you're really dealing with is not an intentionally destructive person. You're dealing with a developing believer who has been destructed, who has been discouraged and is being dis. Distracted. 
You're dealing with a developing believer who's been discouraged and distracted and forgot who they are and therefore they forgot who you are as fellow partakers of the bride of Christ. And as a result of forgetting who they were at an unguarded moment, something was said, something was assumed, accusations were made, and it becomes very destructive to the unity and the relationship that ought to be experienced by God's people in the church. If you've been in the faith for any length of time, you're aware of many Christians who have done to you some very unchristian things. But before we nod our head in too much approval, I would venture to believe that there have been times that you as a Christian have done some very unchristian things to other people as well. How do we respond to that person? who because of lack of maturity, for lack of guardedness, for lack of spiritual self-control, how do we deal with that? Paul tells us, don't respond in kind. Don't be equally destructive. Don't throw gas on the fire. Don't be equally harmful. In other words, don't repay evil for evil, using Paul's words. Instead, he says, always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. By the way, everyone is the twin brother of them all that we've had to extend patience to. They eat dinner together all the time. Why do we do this? Why do we extend patience? Why do we, why do, we do good to those who unleash evil towards us? because the church is a healing community. It's a hospital for the sick. It's an infirmary for the weak. It's a place where broken people come and are made whole. It's the place where Humpty Dumpty is put back together again. It's the place where those who have no hope find hope. And maybe by repaying with good the evil that is done towards you, maybe, just, just maybe, by, by treating them differently than everybody else that they unleashed evil towards and they just reciprocated it right back to them, maybe when it happens to you and instead of reciprocating with evil, maybe if we would respond with goodness, maybe, just maybe, we could be a source of healing in that person's life. Maybe God can use us to bring that person to another level of growth and sanctification in their life. You say, I'm not Jesus, I can't do that. Well, here's the good news, folks. Isn't that who we're supposed to represent? Aren't we Christ's hands and feet on the earth today? Aren't we to extend the heart of Jesus to one another? Admonish the idol. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient. 
and do good. That's what a healthy church looks like. We recognize that the one we love the most, the one we represent, loves that person you're next to just as much as he loves us. And when we get that, when we really get that, we will start seeing each other like God sees us. You say, come on, Pastor. It's just now that I said it earlier. It's kind of like, you know, when you're going to light the campfire, pull out the banjo and sing Kumbaya. Like, how in the world? It sounds like it's just not going to happen. I, I, can't, I can't possibly do that. You're right. You can't do that. But Jesus can. Jesus can do it through you. And my guess is that at some point in your spiritual journey, God has used somebody to manifest that in your life already. And the challenge is to be that person to somebody else. You see, last I checked, we are, we are being transformed into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so to the degree that I'm being transformed into the image of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is the degree that we can be to one another what Christ is designed for us to be. So how do, I, how do I set myself up to be that? How do I be that for one another? This is where I'm gonna close up. This is where Paul goes. He says this in verse 16. After laying out all the ways, I mean, again, imagine, imagine the journey we're on, right? He's kind of laying out all the stuff that, that's ahead, right? Then he kind of brings it down. He says, right now, listen, here's how you are to engage with one another, love one another. And, and he kind of sets the bar really high for the way in which the church is to live in authentic community with one another. And then he sums it all up by saying this, ready? Rejoice always. How am I going to do this? Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Look, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. This is the will of God. What is the will of God? That you rejoice always. That you pray without ceasing. That you give thanks in all circumstances. In other words, you get outside your own head. You move beyond your own experience. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. These are powerful tools that get you outside of your mind and into the mind of God. They sound like ordinary admonitions. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. But when you consider the adverb, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. These are not only mindsets that change the way you see other people, but when employed in the disciple's heart and mind, it changes the way we see everything. Everything. Because it's the mind of Christ. You know what we call that? Transformation. Will we fully realize that on this side of eternity? Absolutely not. But I'm going to be closer to it next month than I was last month. 
And I pray that I'm closer to it next year than I am today. And I'm going to strive after Jesus and his bride in such a way that on my way to becoming more and more like Christ, I'm going to look like less and less of me and what I was to the glory and majesty of Christ. That is possible. You've heard the old saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. (laughs) How do we live this out? One decision at a time. One encouragement to another person at a time. One building up at a time. One blessing at a time. One decision at a time. One gesture at a time. And if each and every one of us did that, it transforms us. And this becomes a place where all the broken Humpty Dumpties by the power of the Holy Spirit will be put back together again. Let's pray. Lord, I love your church. I love the bride of Christ. I love the reality of what we can be in this dark world. And Lord, thank you that you love your church and you're committed to your church. And I thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Lord, I pray that you would allow these truths that we've looked at this morning to find place in each and every one of our hearts and that we would seek after ways in which we can put in motion your design for the body of Christ. Lord, the church is the hope of the world. It's your plan to get the gospel out. Lord, may we honor you in the way in which we honor one another until that glorious day comes where you call us to be in your presence forever. In Christ's name we pray, amen.